Welcome to the Real Life Theology Podcast. My name is Chris. Thank you for joining us today. In this episode, Joel Singleton dives deep into the topic of solving spiritual blindness. If this is something that you have ever thought about or wondered about, or just want to grow deeper in this topic, this is a really good episode to do that. He talks about many different aspects of spiritual blindness and what it looks like for us to live out following the Holy Spirit in America today. He also brings up many tips that may help pastors be able to tackle this issue in their churches. Let's go ahead and listen in together. Yeah, well, we, we may have reached the critical mass point of being able to do this, but, uh, but uh, and I got a lot to go through. So um, it sounds like uh, the gist of it is this, is that spiritual blindness is something that, that all of you face on some level. Um, and this is the big problem that, that I see. Uh, for the last, I guess for the last five or ten years, this has been something that's been on my heart and on my mind. Um, and here's the basic gist of what I see is that we've got these amazing people like Shadanke. Who enjoyed Shadanke's prayer on stage? Like this, when Shadanke prays, do you feel the spirit moving? And, you know, that comes from the four hours he spends praying every single day. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, it is amazing the, the prayer life that he has and the connection to the spirit of God that he has. And then we look at our churches, right? And you can probably, you have dozens of people who pray four hours a day, right? Well, maybe not. And, and so we, I see what his movement is producing and just people and the spiritual awareness of his disciples. And then I see what the American church is producing and the spiritual awareness of our disciples. And I see this massive gap between the way that disciples should look and the spiritual awareness and depth and insight and being spirit-led and, and all of the uh, spiritual uh, you know, attacks and the way that they can give freedom to people in Christ and not outside of Christ. And I see all of that happening there, and then I see us and we're like, well, how do we close the gap? And if we don't know how to close that gap, we can, you know, I, I'll just tell you this, is I had Shadanke come to our church and and he uh, did a weekend seminar on uh, prayer and fasting and the Spirit, and it's great, and people loved it. And, and uh, I'll tell you that he, he shared with us that two of his disciples went out to a village, and, and they raised someone from the dead. And uh, he shared this with our church, and I got zero emails the next day complaining about that, and that was my miracle. You know? <laughs> But we see this huge gap. So what I want to do with you guys today is, is I really want to answer four questions that I think are going to be helpful for everyone in here. Here are four questions. Why is a spiritual worldview essential for disciple-making? And that's really the root of what we're going to talk about. Um, so we don't want to just be spiritually aware for no reason. We want to be spiritually aware for the purpose of disciple-making. Second question is, how can we tell if our group or if we or our church actually has a spiritual worldview? Where are we starting at? We have to have some sort of metric, some sort of uh, mindset at least to know like where our people are and where we need to get them and then how to fill that gap between. So I want to share a little bit about how to perceive that. Um, How did we become spiritually blind? That one I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, but I think there's a couple of things I just, just think everybody should be aware of. And then I think the most important part of this, uh, which we'll build up to, is how can we take our first step towards solving spiritual blindness in ourselves, because we still have it, I still have it, uh, in our groups, 
and in our church. And so I, I don't want to uh, stand up here and pretending that, that I've arrived in some sort of spiritual aware state where I see everything that's going on. What I do want to say is I think I, I have come up with some tools to help people get closer to what we all hope um, discipleship and being spirit-led looks like. And so that's kind of what I want to do today, and so hopefully that's uh, where we are. Um, the first question is, do you have a spiritual worldview? And you're like, okay, well, I don't know how to answer that question, uh, or you just say yes, right? Um, but uh, I was in my office one day, and uh, one of our staff members comes in, and uh, he goes, Joel, uh, he's, he's very kind of blunt and abrupt sometimes, and and so uh, he's like, Joel, I just got off the phone with uh, this mom who is the mom of a couple of our youth group kids. Uh, not, I got off the phone with her boyfriend. And uh, her boyfriend called me to tell me that she might be possessed by a demon. And, uh, and he's going to call you. I gave him your cell phone number. And he's going to call you. Good luck. And then he started to pop himself out of my office, which I said, whoa, 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 whoa. You're like, wait a minute here. Don't you know them better than I do? <laughs> you know? don't, don't you have the relationship here? And, and he said, uh, he said uh, I don't know what to do. He said, uh, my wife forbids me to be involved in anything that is um, darker spiritual forces because of what she's experienced in her life. And so, good luck. And so, in, in, you know, in that one second, all of that kind of hits. And I just want to ask you, if that was you, if you were sitting in my chair and that was the pop-in that you had, not even the walk into my office, but the head pop-in around the corner, and that was the, the question that was asked, how would you respond? If somebody said, hey, there's a person going to call you, and..." They're demon, they, they have a, a member of their family who they think is demon-possessed. Like, how do you respond? And so I think there's some options here. And I think the options that you would respond with probably reveals a little bit more about where you are on your spiritual awareness. And I'm not trying to scare anybody or anything. I just, it, it, it will inform a little bit about where you are better than just asking how spiritually aware are you. And so if you'd respond with skepticism, like you, you might be kind of on the beginning stages of the spiritual awareness if you respond in fear, um, you know, then, then I think part of that's natural, right? Uh, just how long do you stay in fear um, is sort of the, the question. And so you might be a little bit further towards that. If you call for help, like you at least are aware that the spiritual things are around you, but you may not know what to do with it yet. Um, if, you, if you respond in concern and immediate response to things like, like let me get in my car, let me drive over there, like let's, let's, let's pray over this right now. Well done. Uh, and if you respond by praying first and waiting for the Spirit's call to do something even better. Uh, and so just by a show of hands, how many of you would respond, and just to be honest here, like with skepticism, how many of you would respond with fear? How many of you would respond with a call for help? How many of you would drive right over? How many of you, you're like, yeah, I'm fearful, but I'm driving right over. I like that, yeah. Uh, how many of you would respond by praying for a discernment? And then would you feel afraid after that? That really becomes the question. I spent some time praying for discernment, and then I phoned a friend, <laughs> you know, 
and uh, I found a few friends, but um, one of them was Shadonke, like long distance number, whatever it's whatever it costs, it's worth it. But I really want to talk about you know kind of this reaction and what it reveals in us about whether we think there is, you know is actually a spiritual world that's going on, because if we think about that and we sort of um, evaluate where our mind and our heart is and where our actions are and where our will is and our you know, just the emotions that are involved in all of that and then you know uh, where our soul is on some of these levels. Like, okay, we, we've got to understand this. Let's back up just a little bit for a second. Um, why is a spiritual worldview essential for disciple-making? I have a tendency to rely too much on my own strategy. Uh, I like strategy. I like to come up with a plan. I like to execute that plan. I like to see that plan through. I, I like to stand back and watch it unfold, even with me sometimes in the distance and not necessarily being directly involved. But I like that. But it's not as effective as God's Spirit. It's not as effective as fighting the spiritual battles that are within our world. And, and this is just my, my conviction and my belief, but I believe with all of my heart that until Christians in North America have a spiritual worldview, a disciple-making movement is not possible. And we must depend on God and His Spirit rather than human strategy for the rapid advance of God's kingdom. And I share this while I struggle with it. I share this while sometimes I just want to do my strategy and not depend on God's Spirit. Because, you know, if, if we just depend on our strategies, like, I'm a, I'm a pretty, pretty good strategist. But whatever I come up with, my best strategy is not even going to touch how great of an impact God's Spirit can make in a community. But I'm not always playing with the right thing. And so this is our challenge before us. And, and so if that can never happen... If a disciple-making movement... Does everybody here know what a disciple-making movement is? It's the exponential growth. It can't be just a church. It cannot be just addition. But it's disciples making disciples. I think they define that to the fourth generation. To the point that you can't really control it. You you can hardly measure it. It's just exploding. It's never going to happen with one of my strategies, at least. And so, how do we do this? So, Shadonke, about five years ago... Uh, we were in this uh, learning community. And uh, we got invited to this by Bobby. He said, hey, will you fly to Nashville next week? This is how Bobby works. It's sometimes last minute. Next week, and uh, you know, I, I, we want to do four of these this year with Shadonke. And so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll come. And uh, we were sitting there, and um, we all want to know one thing, is how do you make a disciple-making movement of a million people? This is how many he has at this point, roughly, and nobody really knows, I guess, but he has a million people in his movement. How do you do that? And so we all want to know the strategy, right? We're like, what are the steps? What are the 12 principles? What are, you know, and so we ask, like, how, do you, how did you do this? And what do you think he said? Prayer and fasting. There was a long pause. And then... I, I couldn't take the tension anymore, so I had to crack a joke, and I just said, no, but how do we do it? Everybody laughed because they felt the same thing. It's not what we were thinking it was going to be about. But it's never going to happen without the Spirit of God. And so how do American churches make disciples? I mean, we could analyze the generations for a little bit, but uh, growing up, I remember people who went door knocking. Do you guys remember those? 
How spiritually discerned is door knocking? You walk a neighborhood and you knock every door on the street. There's no spirit-led, there's no prayer beforehand, there's no discernment on which doors to, to knock on. I don't think there was a lot of prayer in between those things. And, and so like we see, like okay, old school disciple making, at least they were doing something sometimes is what people say. But none of it was spiritually discerned. The other way that we make disciples now is like we hope that we can build enough good things within our church that people from the community will hear about our church, come to our church, sit in our worship service, learn how to become a Christian, maybe ask for a study or go to a Bible class, and then just check that box on the attendance card that say, I want to be baptized. That's how we do it. That's a really haphazard approach to that, isn't it? It's, it's not going to be very efficient in making disciples. And even that, is it spirit-led? Not a lot. And so, how do they make disciples in Sierra Leone? That's yeah, that's where Shadanke is from, West Africa. Uh, Sierra Leone. Prayer and fasting. Yeah, good job. You're paying attention. So they make, uh, they make disciples. It starts with prayer and fasting because that's the way that you include the Spirit of God. There is no movement that has ever begun in the Christian tradition that did not start with prayer and fasting. So if we think that we can do it apart from prayer and fasting, and we realize the entire scope of Christianity has never happened without prayer and fasting, how arrogant are we? How arrogant are we to think that we can out-strategize the rest of history? Prayer and fasting is where it starts. And so some of the, the things that they do, though, are really transformative so they pray, first of all, they pray and fast for God to reveal to them which communities they should go to. And so, okay, God, where are you sending us? And they wait. They pray and fast and they wait until God reveals to them a community that they should go to. You have to have enough spiritual discernment to know like, when that is happening. But they're not going to go until they feel that call. Then they're going to uh, pray for a person of peace. And a person of peace is, is just somebody who can open the door to that entire community, people who have friends in that community. And you pray for a person of peace to be revealed in that community. They don't move until there's clarity. They will not move in force until there is a person of peace in the community. And so they wait until that happens. And in the meantime, while this is happening, there are thousands of people praying for this community that they have identified. And, and it really is tens of thousands. For the last five years, Shadanke has been saying 10,000, but I, I suspect it's probably in the 30s, 40s, or 50,000s by this point. They are praying specifically for that community for God to break through. What is that doing? It's, it's tilling the soil for God's kingdom to break through. It's not relying on human effort. It's not relying on any words that I have or any speech that I have or, or anything like that. It's just saying, God, your spirit can move before we even get there. And then it's trusting that God will move. So we don't trust God enough for the breakthrough. And so that is how they do it. And we see this gap. And we see this gap. And Shadanke tells stories about how he prayed for someone to have a dream for two years until they became a follower of Christ. And they became a follower through a dream because he couldn't get to them. Western Christians struggle to pray for a few weeks for the same prayer request, don't we? We remember it. And then Shadanke describes the call of the Spirit. He talks about converting a commander in the army who had a gun to his head. And 
He says, sir, sir, if you kill me now, you will never know who Jesus is. But if I can tell you about Jesus and then you kill me, then you will be able to go to heaven. And, and yet we struggle to talk to the barista at our favorite coffee shop. Why is that? Because we don't spend the time in prayer for God's spirit to move within us and to pray for the boldness that we need in order to have those conversations. And Shadonke talks about prayer. He prays for four hours a day, primarily for the kingdom of God to break through around him. And what do we pray for? We pray for tens of minutes. And we pray for ourselves and our families. Maybe big contributions for our churches sometimes, too. In DMMs, we hear of millions of Christians and tens of thousands of prayer intercessors, and intercessors who are praying and fasting for days, weeks, and months together. In the American church, we would only be willing to attend conferences and retreats and potlucks for days on end. And so why is there no spiritual discernment? It's because we don't actually trust God to do any work ahead of us. We don't trust the Spirit to do any work ahead of us. We don't, we don't trust for any of that to happen apart from our own effort. And that's a problem. Like, and so the vast majority of your church members, I promise, don't really believe that God's Spirit can do what God's Spirit can do. And so they don't pray because on some level, they don't really believe that prayer works to the degree that it does. Uh, is, is that you weren't plugged in enough to the Spirit in order to do those things, right? And that's the gap. That's the gap. And so we need to see the gap first. We need to see where we're going to go. We need to see where we are. And then we've got to close that gap. So how do we change? So this is, I think, going to be helpful for you because this is about the gap. Um, so we believe in different phases. This is true of in anything. And so whatever you believe in, you tend to believe in different phases in your life. And, and we see this in Scripture. But, you know, let's just do this first. As phase one is your mind. It's easiest to believe in your mind. Phase two would be your heart. It's second easiest to believe with your heart. Phase three is your will. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but it's, it's the place where we make decisions. It's the place where we have desire. Uh, phase four is actions is what we do. And phase five is your soul. And so what we see in Luke chapter 10 is, is this, you know, the, the response from the guy about uh, Jesus is talking to. He says, okay, how do you read the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And so when I see this verse, God has commanded us to love with every level of who we are, right? Love with your mind. That's the easiest part. Love with your heart. That's the second one. Love with your strength, which I would say is the will. Um, you love with your um, actions, right? And so if you love with your actions, that's why you love your neighbors, because you're loving with your actions. You love with your soul, which we're not sure, you know, even what that looks like most of the time. And so if we're going to believe in, this, in spirit on different, uh, if we're going to believe in the spirit with everything we have, we first have to start at the top. If we're going to believe in a spiritual world, we have to start at the top and work our way through. And so, um, so... Just to kind of look at this real quick is, where do you think your church is at? Where are you at? Sit there with that for just a second as we continue to think about this. Hey, listener, did you know that Renew.org is mainly supported through donors like you? 
You can go to Renew.org forward slash donate for more information. When you support Renew.org, you're supporting over 250 church leaders connected in our network who are trying to make disciple-making the heartbeat of their church. You're coming alongside families discipling their kids. You're coming alongside church members and seekers who are just wanting biblical clarity on today's toughest issues. You're coming alongside organizations who are planting schools and churches that teach the Bible. Support Renew.org today at Renew.org forward slash donate. Thank you so much. If we just believe it with our mind, you believe intellectually in a spiritual world. But these intellectual convictions don't affect much of the rest of your life. Which means that the beliefs only stay in your mind. And beliefs that only stay in your mind are really shallow and fragile convictions. Does that make sense? If they only stay in your mind, they're really shallow convictions. If you got it, say got it. All right, so we keep moving and we understand this is how it works. In Ephesians 6, this is one of the passages we read about the spiritual world, right? We say, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And we read this in Bible class, and this is what happens. Uh, they say, you know, Brother Matthew, do you, do you believe that our, our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against all of these spiritual forces? And you'll say, yes, it's in Scripture. Of course I believe that. And then you'll leave church, and what will you do? Nothing. Because you only believe it in your mind. You only believe it in here. It's only an intellectual belief. And, and far too much of Christianity is an intellectual belief. And that's a topic for a different day, but we do the same thing with this verse. We, we talk about the devil, you know, prowling around like a roaring lion, and we got to resist him. And, and everybody's going through these same sort of struggles. And as we talk about this spiritual battle mentally as if it's true, but in our heart, in our will, in our actions, in our soul, we don't live like it's true. So if I hired a private investigator to follow all of your church members around for the week, what are the percentage of them that would actually live all of the way down to their deepest level like there was a spiritual world? But in Bible class, they'll say, yeah, I believe that. And so this is, this is the gap that we have. So number one is mind. You know, I, I'd say like maybe half of your church is there. I don't know. Depends on how far you guys have gotten. But number two is your heart. When, you're, when you go through times of stress, fear, or emotion, if your heart has a spiritual worldview, you cling to God and his spirit to a greater, greater degree than in times of calm. Okay? And, and we know people like that. You've probably been through times of your life like that where, okay, you, you cling to God more. And so if that's you, then you have a spiritual worldview that has gone down to your heart. It's not just in your mind, it's also in your heart. And, and if you uh, cling to God and in times of stress you run away from God, then it didn't reach the heart level, right? And so the moment your heart is affected, you bail on God. This is why people say when bad things happen to them, well, why do bad things happen to good people? I don't believe in God anymore because now I'm stressed, now things aren't going perfectly, and the reality is they don't have a spiritual worldview that has descended to the heart part of their life. And so that's why some of that has to 
change and get a little deeper. Well, let's talk about the will. That's exactly, you know, when you cling to God's word, when you cling to God and prayer in times of stress, that means your heart has reached that level. And so that, that would sort of assign that, that your spiritual worldview has reached that part. The will, in many cultures, like we don't talk about the will. This is one of ours, is the American culture. I think there's some biblical uh, proof for this, um, but I don't have time to do that. So just take my word for it. Um, and it kind of comes from that idea of strength. And so we can have strength in our mind. We can have strength with our actions. We can have strength with our body. But I think... In this case, the will is a conviction of the mind. Um, so the will is what drives our desires, ambitions, and our decisions. And, and so the question becomes, is like, do, you, do your spiritual desires and choices and goals win over your physical desires, choices, and goals? And if they don't, if the spiritual ones don't win over the physical ones, then guess what? Your spiritual worldview has not, is not believed within your will. And so if you've got Netflix and the Bible sitting next to you and Netflix wins, ooh, yeah. If, if the greatest desire you have is to buy a bigger house, if, if every choice you make is about your own, let's just say if you're a minister, like you, you desire to be that main stage speaker and that's, that's the biggest goal you've got for your life. Those are all very physical things. They're not spiritual things. But when we choose God's desires, when we choose God's holiness and and what he has laid out for us in Scripture, and we choose God's goals over our own, that's how we know that a spiritual worldview has, has reached sort of that will level. Does that make sense? This is just you know, to help us think how to get it deeper in our own people, and I'll kind of walk through of some principles of how to do this. Number three is a spiritual worldview affects our daily actions. And so once it's sort of in that will part, and these, these two have some overlap, but then you start doing things with your hands, you start doing things with your feet, you start doing things with your voice. And so how many of you have church people that just like to sit there? And, and then in the moment you ask them to do something like, hey, today's a prayer Sunday, grab somebody next to you and get on your knees and pray, just like we did in there, and they're like, I'm out. The spiritual worldview is not a part of any of their actions. If they don't have a prayer life, it's not part of their actions. If they're not willing to fast, then it's not part of their actions. If it's, you know, like all of those things have to reach the action level for you to accept that. And so lastly is the soul level, which is, this is the most abstract one, but Jesus confirms that it's in there, that we can love God with our, all of our soul. And so we've got to think about that. But for me, as far as what I think so far, and, and there might be more I need to, to think on this, is, but it's, is how well you listen to God. If it's on the soul level, if you feel a call from God, then you probably have some of that in the soul level. If, if you're asking the question, okay, today, where do I need to go? Next week, where do I need to go? God, where, what are you calling me to do in the next years or months of my life? And, and you're discerning on the soul level what God is calling you to do. And so if you can discern where God is working and you join him there, then your soul is sort of intertwined with God's spirit. And that's, that's wonderful. I don't know a whole lot of people who are on that level all of the time. And it's, it's not a perfect thing. Like, I think sometimes we ping pong back and forth. Sometimes we touch some in some seasons of our life and retreat in some other seasons. But it just gives us an idea of why we have this gap first and then realizing how to close it second.
And so the American spiritual worldview, where's America? Phase zero or phase one? Well, they phase. phase one down, yeah. because that looks like your spiritual. Yeah. Because you can say and repeat things back, right. shelf the knowledge. Right. And some, some people do and some people don't, but that's, that's where it's at, right? Um, and that's the Christian worldview. Uh, just for kicks, where's the progressive Christianity spiritual worldview? I've got a guy in my church who, uh, by, by my definition, would be a progressive Christian. Um, he, he would say sometimes, he'll say, on my good days, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And he still comes. And um, I, I, I pray and I hope that his, his mind and his heart moves in the right direction. But uh, I did a sermon uh, recently, and I talked about hell, talked about Satan. I talked about spiritual forces within our world. And he comes up afterwards and he says, like, I don't, I don't like any of that. Like, how could a loving God send people to hell, right? And so uh, what is he saying? I don't believe in Satan. I don't believe in hell. I don't believe in the spiritual world. And so even though he, on some level, is a Christian, he has no concept of a spiritual worldview. He doesn't believe in any of it. So I told him some stories. I said, hey, your sister over here, like this is her experience in middle school. She got caught up in witchcraft, and she saw this, and this is how she got out of it. And like, uh, and I said, this, this sister over here, she was a part of the Puerto Rican religion of Santorini. And um, I, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. I always struggle with that one. But uh, anyway, so she had this ritual where she had to pray 20-something spirits into her, and then she was released from this bondage. Like, how do you explain any of that under your idea of a spiritual world? And, and he's like, I have no experience with it. Therefore, it doesn't exist. And I think that's true for those in progressive Christianity, but that's sort of true for the rest of us. Like, if, if you raised your hand on that skeptical one, it's probably just because you don't have any experience with it. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, right? And so um, the American Christian worldview looks a little bit like that. How did we get, become spiritually blind? I need to move fast here. Um, I would say in this word is, is humanism. At the point in which we become the center of knowledge and meaning and truth and uh, every pursuit of anything within our world, and when we become the center of all of that, the Spirit of God cannot exist in that sort of environment. Now, can it go back further? Yes. But I'm just saying what we currently deal with, I think, is sort of this humanist perspective. That's still the part of me that says, my strategy, I want to pursue more than God's Spirit. That's, that's humanism, right? is to say, I, I know better than God. I, I'm going to pursue this uh, because of my own arrogance and my own hubris, because I, at some level I don't trust God or I know better than God. That's why that happens. And so humanism is a huge part of this, but because of humanism, this is what has happened to our spiritual worldview. As we have this thing called the absent middle. And so where a lot of Christians, what they believe is there's Christians, and those Christians have a soul, they have uh, a will, they, and they, they follow God's will, they have a pure mind, they have healthy emotions, and they are able to control their body, and this is sort of, can you guys see it up there too? That one's closer, I guess. So, <laughs> that's why I got these now. But uh, So they believe that Christians have all of those things, or, or some of those things. They believe that there's unbelievers, 
and they believe that there's God. But what are they missing from all of this? Is well, they, they don't believe that there's Satan. They don't believe that there's demons. They don't believe that demons and Satan can attack or tempt or deceive or produce strongholds and anger and lies and selfishness and bitterness and all of those sort of things. They don't believe in any of that. And then and on the same side, you know, some of them, people tend to believe more in the light side than the dark side. So lots more Christians are okay with angels and spirits, good spirits, than they are with demons and evil spirits. Um, and so they, they sometimes don't believe that there's truth or guidance or strength or spiritual power or any of those other things that are listed up there. And so what we've done is we've deleted the middle completely, and we've just added God and man and unbelievers. So our job as Christians is to go tell those unbelievers that they should believe in God because that's all that exists. Meanwhile, we deny the attacks that come on Christians, the attacks that come on unbelievers, the spiritual strongholds, and you know the just all of the stuff that we see happening within our world. And so most of the people within American Christianity, they believe more in this than they believe in this. Even after you do sermon series about all of these things, they still don't believe in this. Why? Because they heard it with their mind and it went no further. Even the best ones who believed it with their mind didn't believe it with their heart. And so this is the struggle that we have. Last question, and the most important one is this, is how do we do this? Well, fast and pray is good, right? For you guys, hopefully everyone in here believes in fasting and praying. And if you believe in fasting and praying, then you've got to start fasting and praying for your church to have a spiritual worldview. Like, we're going to talk about strategy in a second, but if, if I don't start with this, I didn't learn my lesson earlier. But we've got to start with us praying and fasting for our church's eyes to be opened spiritually on all levels. And so if that can begin to happen within our church, then you're going to notice some people. You're going to notice the, the people that sort of, okay, they get it. They, they understand it, and you can take them deeper, and, and those are the ones you want to pay attention to. But what we want to do is we want to plant truths deeper in those that we're teaching. And that's good to, to a point. And then we want to give people experiences that lead people into the level three, four, and five categories of belief. Okay? And so that's the framework for what we're going to do. But I like axioms. They're, axioms are just simple truths that reflect scripture, but they're memorable, they're repeatable, and they're easy to get deeper into someone's life. And so one of the ones that I like is God is always present and at work. God is always present at work. Can you remember that? And you'd be amazed at how many Christians don't believe that with their heart. They believe it with their mind, but they don't believe it in the heart. So when a bad thing happens, and, you know, David Young gets cancer, what's the temptation? It's the temptation is to say that God isn't present and God isn't at work because why did this happen to me? And so if it attacks you at that level, and like David is a spiritual giant. He is one of my mentors and friends. Even in our worst moments, though, Satan can steal that from us, right? So another one I like, and, and this was, I think, adapted from a French philosopher, but we're going to steal it today. But, uh, so we're not physical beings with a spiritual element, but we are spiritual beings merely passing through the human experience. 
that quote, um, you know, since the time that I was probably about 14, has always stuck with me and has helped me realize what we really are. And so that's a simple truth. Another one is God cares about it more than we do. It's amazing how many people struggle with this one. Um, the biggest fear that you have, the biggest, how many of you struggle with anxiety at times? In your biggest fear, God cares about it more than you do. There's a time where I thought my four-year-old daughter was maybe having some sort of very severe illness. Somebody scared me. I said, my daughter had the exact same symptoms and she died when she was 19 as your daughter has. God is always present at work. And if God cares about it more than I do, I don't have to control the outcome. But we see how this begins to, to work against us, right? And so if we go back to our five phases, I don't know if I have that on the next slide. There we do. Good. Um, if we go back to our five phases, is, is so you, if you're in a group and we start talking about this and I say that, you know, do you believe that God is always present at work? And I point to some scriptures that, that do that and I would have put them in there, but we're, we're, we're going to run out of time. So, uh, but you guys know that they're there. God is always present and at work. And I say, okay, do you, do you believe that? And everybody will say, yes, yes, I believe that. Look at those scriptures. They always say that. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. Go down to the depths, you are there. You know, if, all of those. And so then the next time we'll meet, we'll say, okay, what's a time in your life that was the roughest time for you? Tell, tell me about it. Well, tell me about it. Do you believe that God is always present and at work in those moments? In those moments of extreme emotion. Why not? Why was that hard? And then you kind of just have to share, like, there's a part of you in your heart that can't accept that God is always present and at work if that's happening. And so we've got to work on that together. And so you kind of pull this up in front of them, and you do the same thing. If God is always present and at work, how are you going to make decisions differently? God is always watching you. <laughs> How are you going to make decisions differently? You know, uh, if, if God is working in the life of so-and-so, then, then how, how are you going to respond to them differently with your actions? Does this make sense? And so what you do, I know I don't really have enough time to unpack this fully, but what you do in a small group setting is, is you would take simple axioms from Scripture like that. And then you don't just say, do you believe it in your mind? Because you know, most of the time they're there. You start... To, to move it down and to penetrate it all the way down to the soul level. That if God is always present and at work, where is he working in your life this week? If God is always present at work, then where did he work in your life last week? Because if he is always present at work, something had to happen last week and this week where God was moving. And if you don't believe that that happens, well, there's, there's the part of your soul that just doesn't accept this. Are you with me? Got it? All right. I'm sorry, we're going to have to move fast. One of the best ways, and some of this is just through trial and error, is to get people to the emotional stage where they believe it in their heart is by talking about spiritual warfare. Now, I don't know where you are on spiritual warfare, but, but here's the reality. I did a 13-week series on the Holy Spirit, right? That's, that's a long sermon series on the Holy Spirit. And everybody, you know, says their typical thing was like, oh, nobody ever talks about the Spirit, you know, like they've been saying that for like 30 years now. Um, and so uh, I, I finished that sermon series, 13 weeks, and I followed it up with immediately an eight-week series on spiritual warfare 
And um, I used some of Neil Anderson's stuff. Uh, if you've ever read Victory Over the Darkness or Bondage Breaker, they are fantastic books. Uh, my big issue um, was I had trouble finding people that I could trust when it came to spiritual warfare. And so for a long, long time, I just didn't really want to read. I didn't really want to discover. And then um, through Renew, through Shadonke, through David Young, through Bobby, all of these guys were like, I know Neil. You can trust Neil. This is good material, right? And so we worked through this as a church. And let me tell you, like, some people thought I'd lost it um, because they grew up under that uh, belief, like, the Spirit doesn't do anything anymore. And I know that that is maybe some, where some of you guys are or where some of your church is at. We've got to move past that. And so we talked about victory over the darkness. We talked about demonizing that happens. We talked about all that sort of scary stuff. And guess what happened? People for the first time thought, what? This is real? This still happens? And after 13 weeks of a sermon series, ignoring like any of the moving down to the heart or soul, or when, when it scared them, they thought, maybe I need to plant something deeper in my heart. Like, I don't like using fear. But maybe there needs to be some healthy fear of a spiritual worldview. And, and it, uh, certainly, uh, Jesus is king, Jesus is sovereign, Every, everything submits to King Jesus. But that doesn't mean anything unless you think that there's something to submit. So I started teaching through this series, and it was amazing how people, their eyes were opened. I started getting stories from people. We had some of these spiritual stories that were, were shared within this class, and we created this safe environment because I said, hey, this is real. All of a sudden, it was like, I got a story, I got a story, I got a story. You share these stories of people who don't live in Africa, who live in our country, who have wrestled with these things, and all of a sudden, it becomes even more real. And you're like, okay, people are going to be upset if I do this. We've got to stop pandering to intellectual Christianity. We have got to stop pandering to intellectual Christianity. If we cannot get our Christianity beyond our mind level, into our heart level, into our will level, into our soul level, into you know, just every single part of who we are, like Christianity will never become real. We'll never have a disciple-making movement because we'll still be relying on our own intellect rather than the Spirit of God. And so that is why we've got to keep moving in this. And so in stage two, to get spirituality and a spiritual worldview into the emotional level, you have to touch the emotions. And you can touch that with the good emotions and the power and the majesty of holiness of God, which we try to do every single week. But for me, in my experience, it didn't become real until we touched the darker stuff. Uh, are the resources, uh, Victory Over the Darkness and Bondage Breaker, uh, available on Renew? Um, I don't think they are. I will tell you the one caveat with that is that Neil has a little bit different view on baptism. And there is a, a document that Bobby has that uh, Neil allowed him to rewrite to include um, a uh, you know, theology of baptism that would align with Renew. Um, so that's my one caveat on, on that stuff. But uh, you can find them on Amazon. Um, they're, they're everywhere. So, All right, phase three through five. I'm just going to put this all in the same thing here. Um, there has to be some more axioms that we, that we work through. And uh, the first one is, we can do nothing apart from God. Do you believe that? Well, yeah, in my mind, I believe that. This is where like, I still struggle with some of these. 
But when, I, when I'm asked, should I work for two hours or should I pray for two hours? Which is more effective for God's kingdom? I'm still so much more tempted to work for two hours than to pray for two hours. So this is why I came up with this the next axiom is your prayers are more powerful than your effort. If your prayers are more powerful than your effort, what will that do to your life? How will that change your actions? How will that change your will? How will that change your emotions when something's going on? Man. And so you do that with people. You just walk them down. And then uh, you get to the, this one is the physical actions can impact the spiritual dimension. I think this one is, is fascinating. Uh, I think this is why people don't believe in baptism any, anymore, you know, in, in general, that it's not something they should do. Is because, they don't believe that baptism is something they should do. People are struggling with this more than anything. It's like, hey, should you repent? Yes. Should you get baptized? Well, we don't have to. You know, why? Because they don't really believe that physical things can impact a spiritual dimension. And the same thing with prayer and the same thing with fasting. You know, one of the guys in my church, how can doing some, how can not eating be spiritual? Well, the base of that question is, how can anything physical cause a spiritual ripple effect? And so this is, this is why this has to be something that we teach through as well. But here's one of the biggest keys. Teaching is not going to get it done in level three through five. You're, you can teach through one through two. You can get into, into level three. But when you get to three through five, here's the truth, is we have to cultivate conviction about a spiritual worldview one experience at a time. I say that again. We must cultivate conviction about a spiritual worldview one experience at a time. And so how do we do this? One of the things that we've done, and this is, is relatively new for us, but we have a group that, um, that meets on Wednesday night and we uh, pray together for 30 minutes. Every time, like, I'm, I'm militant about that. Like, people want to talk longer, I'll just cut them off mid-sentence and be like, we only got 30 minutes, we got to pray. Because um, they want to pl- plan and they want to teach, but they don't want to pray. And so I'll just cut them off and I'll say, okay, we're going to hit our knees. We, 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 we have a room with two lights. We hit the light off on one room. I get down my, my knees and I say, hey, take any position you want, but uh, try to take a position of humility. And so they take their position of humility, and we pray through, um, we, we pray through kingdom prayers, outreaching prayers. And uh, I've got a, a list of those coming up in this slide. But what this does is, is we, we have conviction about the spiritual things. The following week, we'll plan in that meeting to go out and do something the following week. And so we've uh, prayer-walked neighborhoods. That is a really good one. I, think, I believe that prayer walking can till the soil for that neighborhood to be convicted about who Jesus is. And so you, you prayer walk a neighborhood. Uh, we've had some of our group go pay for laundry in a laundromat. It's very simple, but it's action, right? You have to do action to be convicted on the action level. We've had some of our people pay for um, you know, drinks at Starbucks. Uh, recently, we started praying for a person of peace uh, within our community. And uh, we felt called to one neighborhood and one apartment complex. So I went to this apartment complex and I said, hey, uh, I want to ask you a series of questions. And uh, we just kind of want to know like, what we're allowed to do here because we want to give back to our community. So I said, number one, are we allowed to throw a barbecue for, for this apartment complex? There's like 15 buildings in this apartment complex, so it's huge. And she said, yeah, you can throw a barbecue. She said, I will email it and text it out to every resident that there's a free barbecue hosted by your church. I said, great. Can we prayer walk 
in this apartment complex. And she said, well, what's that? And I said, I know it sound, might sound weird, but it's just praying for the people that we don't know in this community. And she said, yeah, you can do that. I said, great. Can we stop people that we meet and ask them if we can pray with them? And she said, yeah, you can do that. And so I said, all right, one of the things we're looking at is doing some classes on marriage and parenting and finances and anxiety within our church. If we do those classes at our church, will you advertise those to this apartment complex? She says, yeah, we can do that. How did that happen? Well, for weeks before then, we were praying for God to reveal to us a person of peace within our community. Two of us felt like that apartment complex was it. It had been kind of like itching on our brain for a little while. And we're like, we got to go there. And then I just felt one day I was, I was driving by. I said, now's the time to stop by. So I stopped by, and that's the conversation that happens. Was that my effort? No, that's not my effort. I'm, I'm, I, I make a pretty decent salesman, but like, uh, you know, that's not my effort. That's the Spirit of God leading us and working in the hearts of those that we would talk to before we got there. And so then um, we had been praying that our church would be a more outreaching church, and so we had this, this big meeting, and, and basically we said, hey, the, the purpose of everything we do this night, we're going to slowly turn to outreach. How do you think that would go? Oh, in a normal circumstance, like, you know, there might be things thrown, you know. Uh, <laughs> but our church bought in to this. Why? I think it's because of prayer and fasting. And so we've got to pray until the soil for the things that God is calling us to do and for him to lead the way before we go there. And so what the beauty of that group is, is when you pray and then you do something, that reinforces the two convictions that we have, is that there is a spiritual worldview, and this thing that I'm doing with my body that's physical in prayer is going to lead that, that's to something that's physical within the world through my actions. And so a group like that, man, you, you hit, it's, it's the one-two punch. It's, it's the analogy of the weekend, right? You got one punch with the spiritual world is real, and the second one is when I pray and prepare spiritually, things happen in the physical world that, that matter, and they change. And so I think there's other things that you can do. One of the things that we're going to do very soon, you know, you have to phase these things in. You can't give a baby everything at once. And so our church hasn't been ready for a lot of this until now. And then in January, we're going to start a prayer and fasting calendar where the first day of every month uh, as a church, we're going to ask everybody to pray and fast. And so it's slow and it's methodical, but we've got to plant those things deeper through the actions that we do as individuals and groups and as a church. And so that's how we move through phase three. These are um, the kingdom prayers that I talked about. Uh, this has absolutely changed my prayer life. Um, you know, when we pray through... I'm out of time. I, I'm okay. I'm about done. When we pray through these things... The things that we want to know is like how to speak the word, word of God boldly. And so if we don't pray for that, is it going to happen? Probably not. When we, when we pray for more laborers to work the field, that's, that's, God will provide the increase in that way. When we pray for open doors for the lost, I mean, it's hard to, to start a conversation without those prayers. When we pray for the people of peace in a community, those people are revealed to us. When we pray for gatekeepers in a community like 
that person can open the entire door for a community to come to know who Jesus is because we prepared their heart by praying. Um, we pray for protection. I, I think there are spiritual attacks everywhere. We pray for miracles, pray for movements around the world. Shadonke is praying for us. Why aren't we praying for him? And we pray to break strongholds of unbelief and doubt in us and in other people, people groups entrusted to our care, provision, confession and repentance, and any seeds of pride. That's, that's when he prays that prayer, Don't, I will not touch your glory. He prays, let any seed of pride, in other words, it hasn't even planted yet. Let any seed of pride be removed. He, we pray those things because they're outward. So I asked Shadonke once, when he, he told us, this is what I pray for. I said, you pray for this for four hours. And I said, he said, yes, because there's a lot of names involved in a movement his size. And I said, when do you pray for yourself? And he, he said, honestly, sometimes I forget to pray for myself. How different is that than what we do here? So if we're going to open our eyes to a spiritual worldview, we've got to have the tools to do this. I'm going to leave you with this slide. Until Christians in North America can have the spiritual worldview, a disciple-making movement isn't possible. And here's the deal. is like, Yeah, is, could it cause division in your church? Yeah. Could it cause division in your group? Yes, we've experienced it. Is there any divisive topic that is more essential to the future of the church than this one? Why are we, why are we pursuing these third issues, these pet issues, these issues that are coming from our culture, and we're splitting churches in, ha- in half over those? Meanwhile, we will not touch the spiritual worldview of our church because we're afraid we might send people and scare people into believing that there's a spiritual worldview. Why is that so fearful? But we'll touch the rest of them. Because we love comfort. There's power and there's afraid of it. We love comfort. I did have a question. I'm not sure if you're... Yeah, yeah. I'll say this. That's, that's what I have for you. I will. Um, please pursue that with boldness. Because this is what every church needs. And uh, if you need to go, you can go. It's not rude. But I'm going to answer questions if you can stay. Basically, the question is, he's, uh, he has friends who don't believe that there's uh, as much spiritual world activity happening in America than in uh, Af- places like Africa. And so um, I used to believe that, um, I, and I used to ask that very question. It's like, I thought maybe it's because there are uh, more, there's more desperate people in places like Sierra Leone. And so they're praying and fasting more. Or maybe it's because in Africa they've messed around with animism for a long time, and, and that's why there's more darker spiritual forces. And I think that's probably the case. I think in America we've had a, a long history of Christianity, which has kept some of those things at bay. But I will just tell you, I sat last night with a guy who told me 15 stories of people who are in his church and in his life that on some level or another, the American church, were... Um, in deep strongholds or were demonized because of them. I don't think we have a safe environment to share those stories is one of the reasons why. And um, I think we have alternate ways that we explain it. So my wife is a clinical psychologist, for instance, and, and so we wrestle with this. Some things are clearly psychological and some things are clearly spiritual. 
But since our world doesn't have any room for a spiritual worldview, we explain everything by the psychological perspective. That's right. So if, if we, we see somebody with possession in our culture, we would want to treat them medically. Yeah. Thank you again for joining the Real Life Theology Podcast. We really hope that today's breakout that we have been able to provide has given you some insight to take back to your ministry situation that you are in. Make sure to join us again on Tuesday as we release our next breakout session. 